welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. I'm super pumped for this podcast. It is 103, and amazingly enough, it's the three-year anniversary of the podcast. I'm super jacked, and I'm super appreciative and super thankful that I've got my good buddy Joe Rogan. Uh, Him and I have almost been archery pals for almost a year now, and I believe he's in his third or fourth year now um, to being really serious about bow hunting. He's done so much for the community, um, become a great friend, a good hunting buddy. And uh, I couldn't think of a better person to have on. Joe's got a monumental week for his podcast, I think this week. I don't know if he's announced it yet, so I can't announce with what's going on with his podcast numbers. But um, anyway... I'm going to jump into a phone call right now with my good buddy, Joe Rogan. Hope you enjoy it. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. I just wrapped up a podcast. I'm sitting here chilling in my studio. <laughs> That's awesome. Who are you with? Uh, Philip DeFranco. He was on. He's a, a, a famous YouTube personality. Very nice guy. Awesome. I can hear you. Fun um, times. I can hear you jingling a beverage over there. What do you got? Uh, I was actually just drinking coffee. This is pool balls you're hearing. <laughs> Hear that? Oh, yeah. That's not ice. That's billiard oh. balls. <laughs> Sounds like ice in my Yeti rambling around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The uh, are you still drinking that whiskey and alpha brain combination? Yeah, I've got some right here. Yeah, I've got um, <laughs> I've got some Pendleton, some Pendleton and Alpha Brain. Actually, um, <laughs> since you're playing pool, that's kind of funny because I posted um, – I posted on there if anyone had any topics they wanted us to talk about to let me know. And one of the topics was um, someone really wanted to know exactly how you got into archery and if you've like totally given up your. Um... Lost you there for a second. Oh, sorry. Hopefully that doesn't you happen. Get disconnected? To you. No. Can you? Yeah, hear? I hope not. How yeah. exactly I got it? I hear you now. You got yeah. me? Yeah, I got you. Perfect. Yeah, how you got into archery and, and if you're going to totally substitute archery for pool entirely. Uh, not entirely, but it's it severely diminished my appetite for pool. <laughs> but um, uh, I got into archery actually a long time ago. I bought a bow um, because it was just me and my wife and my daughter. We were just thinking, hey, maybe it would be fun to try out archery. So we all got bows. And I shot mine for like a week and just had no idea what I was doing and didn't really get a lot of help. And uh, then I left it alone for a long time. Then I decided to try it again one day and I went out and I bought a Bowtech Experience. And I went to a shop and I got it fitted just totally on a whim. And I think, I think this was before I had ever hunted. Um, I, I hadn't done any rifle hunting yet. Man, maybe I did. Maybe I did. It's hard to remember. I don't think I did. I think it was before I'd done it. And I just, 
I just thought it'd be something cool to learn. So I got a good bow and I started practicing in the backyard. Didn't know what the hell I was doing, obviously. And uh, then I met Cam Haynes. Cam Haynes brought me a Hoyt and then he took me out in my yard and I had some targets already set up and, you know, and he was trying to instruct me and show me a little bit and I got you know, deeper into it then. And it was just one of those things that once it, once it really stuck, once I really got hooked and then, uh, I was off to the races. Oh yeah. Well, what, what, um, how did Cam and you hook up? It's funny. I've never asked you this before. Um, I saw some of his videos on YouTube that were about training and, uh, and archery. And I was like, wow, this is a, a totally interesting angle that I hadn't considered. And the first time I went hunting with Steve Ranella, one of the things that I was really shocked by was how much cardio it takes. And that's something that I think that people on the outside, when you think about hunting, you think about, you know, just going out and killing an animal. That's what the average person, the uninitiated person thinks. They don't think that there's any physical requirements at all. They think of hunters as being overweight beer drinkers, you know. <laughs> but when you're involved in a, a mountain hunt, you know, especially a mountain hunt at altitude, hiking and, you know, packing out and all that stuff. I don't think people consider the physical requirements of it. And I was pretty unaware of it. I know I was totally unaware of it until I did it. And I was like, wow, I am exhausted. I can't believe how much effort this takes. And then I thought, what if I was not in shape and I tried this? I would be doomed. Because, you know, I, I do some pretty rigorous and intense exercise and I was still blown away by how much effort it took. If I was a person who didn't work out at all, I would really be screwed. And I saw Cam's videos. I started paying attention to people that get involved in hunting and, and training to hunt. And that's, uh, that's where I found Cam's stuff and I contacted him on Twitter and then we wound up doing a podcast and he brought over a bow from Hoyt for me. Told me to get rid of that Bowtech, <laughs> and uh, I, I started, uh, you know, uh, d- practicing even more in the backyard. And uh, somewhere along the line, I stumbled upon your stuff. And uh, I'm pretty sure I did just uh, through YouTube, just looking at um, uh, different methods of, uh, you know, of archery and how to master the release method, and you know, different uh, hand releases. And then once I did that, I started getting into your podcast. Yeah, that's crazy. What's weird is this week is such a it's a real monumental week. If I I don't know if you know, but we've got um so this is this is my third year of the podcast today. And ah. you've got a you've got a pretty monumental number for yours, which I don't know if you announced. And then um so like the beginning well last weekend is actually when you reached out to me for the first time because you reached out to me when you were at Hoyt last year at the expo. And so like next week is uh, like the one year anniversary when I came out and you and I shot together for the first time. So it's kind of a bunch of crazy Crazy. stuff. It is. It is crazy. I mean, that one time when you came out changed my life. I mean, really absolutely did. I mean, you you came out, and the instruction that you gave me, I'm forever in your debt. It's radically changed how I shoot, how well I shoot, uh, my consistency. You know, I'm just understanding. All, I, there's levels to everything in this life. There's, there's levels to every discipline, and there's certainly levels to archery. 
and there's certainly levels to archery instruction. And I really didn't totally grasp that until I worked with you. And uh, since then, I mean, I just, uh, it's just changed everything, man. It's just, it's so, it's so huge, you know? I mean, your, your methods and your, um, the, the amount of discipline that you apply to archery and how deeply involved technically you are about archery has just uh, really radically transformed my ideas about it, my practice of it, everything. And I'm just so much more consistent now. It's crazy. And I know a lot of that is practice, but it's also doing practicing correctly. And that's something that I really learned from you. Well, you do think you're like the perfect student too, because you're, you're so systematic. But the, the thing that's, that I'm super proud of when I see how well you shoot is you've gotten to the point where you're shooting multiple releases. You're shooting, you're shooting a variety of different things, but you're getting the same exact execution. And that's really hard for people to come by that fast. So, I mean, you've, you've like leapfrogged so many disastrous hurdles that most archers would have had to go through. Did you get any of that? <laughs> Lost again, buddy. I yeah, know. I did. I got it up to disastrous hurdles that that damn Iowa internet service, buddy. <laughs> I know. I know. Big bucks, but shitty service. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well... You know, I mean, I, I do like to use different releases to see what's what's what works best and what consistently uh, feels the best for me. That that too simple. I seem to be going back to that one, that Carter too simple, the way that fits my hand. That and I like the wise choice because it has the finger hole and the knock to it for that same finger hole. But um, I like the shorter neck of the too simple. Yep. The uh, Carter Two Simple. This that's the one I hunted with when I was on your property, and uh, that's the one I use pretty much all the time. And sometimes I use a four finger Two Simple too, because I noticed that like one of the things that I was doing with the the Two Simple with the three finger one is I was dropping that fourth finger down oh. as I was pulling into the shot. There's that little motion. I noticed you do that too when you shoot with the knock to it. I was staring at your hand while we were practicing. <laughs> you you have it you have it locked in with the two fingers and a two finger release, but you drop your pinky down as you're pulling through, which sort of makes your hand close more and applies a little bit more pressure to the trigger, right? Yeah, it's um... and to me. Go ahead. What are you gonna say? I said go no, ahead. I was gonna say to me, um, I like to not move it at all and just totally concentrate on my back muscles i feel like i do that more with a four finger release if that makes any sense but i know you like you think that puts more torque on yeah, um yeah, yeah on the shot yeah it's certainly i mean it's certainly leverage so the more you leverage your your angle of attack on the release the more you have the ability to make mistakes so if you're rotating that hand around then you're kind of changing the position of the d loop within the jaw itself so you know depending on which way you're moving it can't it can change um you know how that loop comes out of there but you know your hands are so much different than a lot of people's too your hands are like a, they're literally like a silverback 
I mean, your hands are massive. So some some types of releases just aren't going to feel comfortable for you. And some are going to feel like your hand's in a more natural position. And that's what's nice about a variety of different releases is that you have that option. Yeah, for me, um, the, for some reason, four-finger releases always feel best in my hand. And I feel like they give me left-hand motion because my my big wide hands have somewhere to sit and there's less moving around. And I completely concentrate, even though I'm using a four finger release, I completely concentrate on my first two fingers. I'm only pulling really with the index finger and the other finger is kind of along for a ride. And then the last two fingers are literally just sitting there. So everything is happening from the first two fingers. So it's like I use it like a four or a two finger release, but um, it just fits my hand. And it also, uh, it, it, it makes it smoother for me to pull the bow back. Like it feels better as I'm pulling the bow back. There's so little resistance because I can grip it with my whole hand. So as I'm pulling it back, it's, it's effortless. Well, and you're shooting like, 84. If that makes sense. Well, you're shooting 84 pounds too. So a lot of people listening, you know, if you're shooting 84 pounds, and especially with the numbers of arrows that you shoot, because you're like me, there's times where you might not be able to shoot for a little stretch of time, but then when you are able to shoot, especially when you're doing good and you're in that zone, the majority of the day can go by. And, you know, if you're shooting 84 pounds with two fingers, then it gets to, it starts to wear on you. So just from that aspect alone, the four fingers probably just going to be easier to pull. Yeah, it definitely feels like that to me. Um, and I do when I, especially when I get in the groove, I, I shoot arrows until my arm wants to fall off. <laughs> I, just, I just get obsessed. And if I have if like, like, I get excited if I have like five hours in the day where I don't have to do anything and I start practicing, I'm like, woo! but then I get kind of manic and crazy because, uh, I just want to just, I don't, I don't even want to be an inch off the target. I want every arrow to just slam right into that. Like when you were over uh, my house, we put that little uh, red, spongy-looking circle thing. It looks like a bozo nose. We put it at the target. So I'm not just looking at the elk's vitals, but I have a very specific spot on that Reinhardt target. I don't. I want every arrow to slam right into that bozo nose. <laughs> and if it doesn't, I feel like well, it can. You know, it can. And my well, my yeah. ultimate day is when I get out there. I get out to 50 or 70 yards wherever I set up. And the first arrow, I see that green knock just slam right into that bozo nose. I get so excited. It's like the happiest day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's, um, what's cool about it is with those little stick-on balls, and I think you got that from Lancaster, but that little rubber, yeah, we, we called it a bozo nose. But what's cool about it is so many of the actual like rings on 3D targets, they're not really in the best like lethal position. And you're out there shooting for you're shooting as preparation as a hunter, and it's important. You know, you're not out there just to shoot in the middle of the twelve ring. You're trying to shoot exactly where you want to hit an elk, and that those little balls kind of are, are allow you to move that that point of aiming into whatever spot you want it to be, depending on how you have your target turned, or you know, you might want to be more towards the heart rather than up in the middle part of the foam. So it's, it was a pretty cool idea. Right. I, really, I like that thing. 
Yeah, I do too. And uh, I am actually shooting at different angles now. Um, sometimes I do shoot it uh, quartering away. I'll go to like the side of my house and shoot up at a weird angle at the at the elk target. Yeah, so, that's... yeah, I, I like that bozo nose. Now, when you and I first started, we we I actually took you back to um, shooting the the evolution, um, and then I started to really focus on teaching you how to shoot that mainly with two fingers, like you talked about earlier. And there's a lot of people that are kind of asking the question. Um, on Instagram right now, they're really wanting us to know, like, what are some of the key fundamentals for beginners? And I keep going back to the fact that what I really liked about, you know, and actually people don't know, but the reason the silverback is even around is Joe. That was 100% your your deal. You wanted the silverback and you wanted you wanted it silver. And you also, we also came up with the name silverback that night in Vegas and um and it was because your shot changed so much by focusing on learning how to come through that shot with the two fingers and even though um even though you only had or even though you shoot a four finger release that instruction that you got with the two finger was monumental on how your shot executed hello yeah, I'm back. Yeah, you you cut in and out, but yeah, um, I, I those tension based release. I think the evolution and particularly the silverback, it's just so giant to learn with. I, I think it is the most important tool to learn how to execute your shot correctly. And the name silverback is so perfect too because it's silver, and you're using your back muscles. You know, you're using those muscles that are connected to your spine and concentrating on the center of your back as you pull through the shot. And when you taught me that and I started applying it when you were over here, it just changed the whole way I shoot. It made my shooting infinitely better. Well, I saw it on your face. I remember you had shot for probably about 30 minutes and we were talking a few, through a few things, but I could kind of see that there were certain things that you understood, but you weren't necessarily like, it wasn't like, I shouldn't say it wasn't clicking, but it just like wasn't sinking in. And then so I just grabbed that target and I took you over to a short distance, took your, you know, we took your sight off and I just said, okay, here's exactly what I want you to feel. Like it's all about the feeling. And we talked through one shot and literally you made that one shot and you looked at me and you're like, whoa, that changes everything. You're like, okay, now I know what I'm looking for. And that's the hard moment for a lot of people to grasp is to understand when that shot just surprisingly happens and you were going through a motion to make that shot happen. Yeah, it's that feel of having the shot execute from the back muscles. It's like this, there's this feel, the elbow up high, concentrating on those back muscles and then the shot breaks. And once that became uh, a part of my mind, it, like once that feeling was locked into my head, practicing it over and over and over again, and now I can execute that shot all the time with, uh, with a thumb trigger release. I don't, I don't have any instinct at all to try to make that shot go off with my thumb. Everything is done with my back. I immediately concentrate on those muscles in the center of my back 
And when I'm pulling, that's what I'm thinking about. As I'm looking through the side, as I'm centering the peep, as I'm making sure that everything's level, as I begin to execute the shot, all my thought is concentrating on the pulling. Yeah, and then for you, kind of that next step, when you and I, um, we, I think you and I met a few months later in Chicago, and we shot for quite a while, and you were coming through your shot good, but you were actually utilizing more of your back than what you needed to and so when I talked with you about the fact that you were using some of your lap muscle to come through the shot I told you that when that happens when you're using your lat it starts to bring the release down as it fires it naturally brings it down instead of straight back over the shoulder and so once I was like okay you're using your lat which way does the lat go it works the same as like you know a pull up or a pull down so if we eliminate that muscle that's contracting that direction and we focus, you know, I kind of put my hand on your back, then all of a sudden you started coming through and everything started to click. And I think one more thing that really helped you was your follow through. We talked about follow through and even though you were executing good, you weren't continuing to let that follow through come all the way back. And so my way of referencing it to you so that you would understand was I said, you know, when you punch someone, are you literally stopping the punch when you when it happens? Or are you trying to go through the person? And obviously you looked at me, you're like, well, yeah, 100%. And I said, okay, so when we're focusing on that back elbow, that's what it has to be. It has to be you need to be pulling through, not just waiting for it to happen and then stopping. And your shot, you know, your whole shot once again went to a different level. And all that stuff for me starts adding in to how accurate you are at longer distances or all these little key fundamentals. Yeah, they all play a factor. And another factor for me was having making sure I concentrated on lifting my elbow up high. Oh, that's right. For some yep. reason, I was stuck in this thing where my elbow was at like maybe 2 o'clock instead of 1 o'clock, you yep. know, and that difference, that difference of the elbow being lower, I was definitely using my lat more with that. It was causing some inconsistencies. So if you look at like my form when I was with you in Iowa when we went deer hunting, um, my elbow's like really high and my back is very straight and I'm really concentrating on my posture and uh, it just it just has just a massive massive impact on how accurate I am. Yeah, you're shooting awesome out here. I mean it was hard like that one Are day we, again? No, I I've got you. Can you hear me? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Um so that when you're out here that one day when we came in for lunch, you were I, it was hard to get you away from the target because you were shooting so good. Your form looked perfect. And then that night, you made a spectacular shot on a on a doe. Yeah, well, I just, when I get into it, man, I just get obsessed. And I don't want to, you're right, I don't want to move away from that target. I just want to keep launching those arrows because I, I want... I want that feeling of the perfect execution, the perfect shot to just be cemented in my head. So once I start getting it, I just, I, you know, and again, I'm pulling 80 pounds and I'm doing it a hundred times. <laughs> I just get obsessed. <laughs> yeah. What, um, so there's a lot of people. Wanting Damn, to... your internet's terrible. Uh, I'm sorry, buddy. I'm sorry. 
the no one, worries. The one uh, question people are really wanting you to, us to talk about is single pin sites versus multi pin sites. And I know once you came whitetail hunting here during the rut, your opinion on that kind of changed a bit. Could you hear me? Uh, I heard single pin sites versus multi pin sites once I came there, my opinion, and then you cut out. Yeah. I think you're saying, you know, my opinion shifted towards the understanding the necessity of a multi pin. Correct. Yeah. What? So what's your thoughts well, on that now? Well, I, I definitely think you could be more accurate with a single pin. There's less clutter. I like. I really like how Spot Hog does it where they have two dots on it. And uh, the second dot, you're adding about 18 yards with my setup. So, like, uh, I have uh, two, two targets set up in my yard. One of them is at 32 yards, and uh, the other one is at 50. And I, I do that where, so I can fluctuate back and forth and get used to using that pin. And I probably should put, like, a third dot down there for a third reference point and try to figure out where that is. But, yeah, I think three is probably the right number for me maybe i don't know but it's something really nice about being able to dial out like you see an elk at 53 yards dial out to 53 yards concentrate on that crease right behind the shoulder and just watch that arrow disappear right exactly where you want it to go but yeah, if that elk runs out to 60 or then runs towards you at 40 like oh you know you, you really want <laughs> you really want to have options right yeah, it's it's such a it'll be a continual debate forever. And you know, some people well, it really I think I think to answer that question good for people, you have to really consider what your hunting situation is like because some hunting situations are you have time, you know, if animals are coming to like graze or they're coming to feed or if you're hunting in a blind and they're coming to a food plot, you know, in those situations you have the ability or if you're hunting a water hole and you know that they're coming into a certain location, you really have the ability to be very finite with your pin adjustment. But if you're in a situation, which I think the majority of whitetail hunters, especially in the Midwest or people that are in the timber calling turkeys, you know, the distances are continually changing and they're not in a fixed position. And in those situations, unless you're a hundred percent knowledgeable about your bow and your speed and your arc, then it starts to become a guessing game. And I go through that with, you know, my family is actually divided. So Sharon and Harry shoot a single pin because I don't want them to focus. I don't want them to be distracted by multiple pins or try to worry about where the other pin should be. So with them, I'm always trying to hunt in a blind or on a food plot to where they can range or I can range and then they can just set their sight and then make the shot. But for me, in all the different huntings that I've done, I've just found that shooting a single pin sight, I just continually get burned with having to make a shot where I'm guessing at what that exact placement should be. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a debate, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's a, I think both are great options for the right person. Um, I just know what I prefer. I love shooting 
I love practicing with a single pin. I love shooting with a single pin. Um, you know, I love shooting competition archery with a single pin. Um, but once it comes to me sighting in my hunting bow and getting ready for a hunting trip, then it is definitely a multi-pin for this guy. Hmm. I asked Cam Haynes, you know, cause we both have that same spot hog, uh, site that has the two pins. I asked him yesterday, I said, Hey man, how many times do you use that second dot? And he goes once he goes, but better to have it and not use it than to need it and not have it. <laughs> You know, and I get it. Yeah, well, and what's funny is if you ask me that question, like if I had a single pin sight and you said, how many times um, have you had to use it? I'd say all but once. <laughs> I bet you in my hunting situation, it would be the total opposite of that. But um, yeah, so, well, you and I talked yesterday too, but I was up in up in the far north northern part of Wisconsin. I was actually up at Sherlock and I'm pretty excited to be to finally have full a full green light from all the investors in the Faradine company because they really want to finally bring out the best site that Sherlock can make and they've pretty much just said if you design it, we're going to build it. So Levi and I both are going to really come up with what I'm certain is going to be the best crossover site on the market that's going to go from being able to, to shoot target archery, field archery for 3D shooter and their types of apertures that they really like, and then being able to immediately put on a hunting aperture that's totally ready to rock and you know something that we can actually combine into one big like ultimate mega pack you know so i'm pretty excited about that that's awesome well sherlock's a great company so if they listen to you two guys man they they might literally come up with the ultimate site i hope so i hope so well hey let's um one person on here is asking me about how I'm coming along since my stem cell injection in um, my right bicep. So when you and I saw one another in Vegas, I actually got a stem cell um, my second round in my bicep because I actually had three tears. I had um, one tear on the forearm and then two tears on the by. So I got an injection first back in July of last year with um, Dr. Roddy McGee. And then when you and I saw one another a month or two ago, um, you know, I went back and got another round again. And mine is doing unbelievable right now. I mean, it's it's not like you all of a sudden feel like you have a whole new arm, but it's like all the all the pain and the the limitation to what you felt from an injury, that's just, it's almost like that's gone and you kind of forget that you were, that you were limited on your range of motion or limited on your strength on that side. I mean, I think it's pretty spectacular. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's really radical. I mean, I've had some, some injuries that plagued me like my left knee in particular which uh, I've had operated on. I had uh, an ACL reconstruction on it, and I also had uh, meniscus surgery on it, meniscus scoped. And it would always bother me. Like every now and then it would start flaring up and it would get real sore. It has given me zero problems in over a year since, since he shot the stem cells in there. It just stopped being a problem. 
Uh, same thing with my shoulder. My shoulder, they were saying there's all these tears in it. You're probably going to have to have surgery. I've gone through a series of shots in that shoulder, and I do ungodly things with that shoulder now. It doesn't yeah. bother me at all. I'm, I'm lifting all kinds of crazy weights. Yeah, I've seen you chuck old gorilla and freaking Bigfoot around on that shoulder, and I'm dumbfounded. I'm I'm literally that's not bothering me at all. <laughs> I'm afraid to try to try Bigfoot over the top of my head. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's not worth it. It's definitely stupid. <laughs> I mean, it's not necessary. How often do you really need to put ninety pounds over your head like that, and especially do it ten times in a row? But what I'm amazed is is just how it's changed how my body feels. All those little injuries that were bothering me, they're just non-existent now. I mean, it's the future. I think it's going to replace a tremendous amount of surgeries. And I think your body having the ability to just regrow tissue uh, is just it's so mind-blowing that they figured out how to do this, where a lot of athletes, a lot of UFC fighters, are getting these stem cell injections and, and not needing surgery. Yeah, there's almost one in there every single time I've been in, or every time I talk to Roddy. Because, yeah. you know, it's Roddy is like one of those doctors where you want to, I mean, you literally want to get your appointment over with so you can go hang out with a dude. He's so fun. Yeah, he's great. He's awesome. Sharon and I went out with him and his wife, um, that night uh after the yeti party and we had a freaking riot his wife is hilarious she was she was really fun and it's one of those things where um i don't know it was it's you know it's funny it's cool having a doctor that that's that kind of a that has that kind of a relationship because one they understand what you need more and you know that they're not just giving you a bunch of bull crap. And I can honestly say, two of when I first got my shoulder inspected, two of the doctors I went to, like I just, I literally got an MRI, got you know, got their results. They gave me their consultation and what they wanted to do. And I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm going. I'm going to another guy. Like I'm not feeling it with this dude because it just. Sometimes certain doctors, man, you just get the feeling like they're just wanting to do as much to you as they can to get your money. But he's definitely not yeah. like that. No, he's definitely not like that at all. He was actually skeptical when he saw my MRI, whether or not it was going to have a positive result on me. He's like, well, you know, we'll try, we'll try it. We'll try it. We'll see what happens. And now I'm like the poster boy for recovery for him. <laughs> and, yeah. you know... And he, he's careful to say that, you know, results may vary and not everybody responds to it the way that I have. But, man, my body's responded to it like a duck to water. He's a great guy. He really is. And he's so knowledgeable, too. I enjoy going there just to talk to him. And you know what's cool about it, the whole process, and for those of you listening, I might actually let you expand on kind of the process because there's really two options for getting the stem cells. I'll let you talk about it because you're really, you're really knowledgeable on it. But... Since the first time I went and got my first round, and then this last time we went, they actually have already came up with new studies to make it better. Like the first time I went, it was still in debate whether or not you needed to fully warm up and increase circulation to the site before the injection. Now this last time, they've actually multiplied the amount of time that you warm up, but then they also talk about sauna treatment immediately following that 
having an increased benefit yet again. So, I mean, it's really a spectacular thing. But um, maybe maybe give everyone who's listening kind of a little background on the way this whole thing came to light. Well, they used to, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. And one way to do it is they take your fat and they convert your fat into stem cells. Uh, another way to do it that Daniel Cormier, UFC light heavyweight champion, had done is they actually drilled into his hip and took out marrow. And they, they took the stem cells from that to help him heal, heal an injury. The way that you and I have had it done is a young woman who has a cesarean section. So she gives birth by cesarean section, then they take the placenta out and they extract stem cells from that placenta. And that is how we had it done. And that is, according to uh, Dr. McGee, he thinks that that is probably the most effective way. But again, results may vary. But it's certainly the most um, inobtrusive. It doesn't, you don't have to like, like with Daniel Cormier, when they went into his hip, it's much more invasive. So he's dealing with all these recovery, uh, recovery time for the hip. Like he was hobbling around with a little bit of a limp for like a couple weeks, I think uh, he said. So it's way easier to deal with, way quicker recovery time, and the results for me and for you have been really pretty pretty spectacular. Oh, yeah, and one thing I guess we should throw in there too is what's cool about the way Dr. McGee and his facility does it is, um, and you can Google uh, Dr. Roddy McGee, Las Vegas, um, but they actually go and get full consent from those um, from those mothers uh, for this too. So it's not like anything, you know, dodgy's going on where you have to worry about going in there. And, you know, I, I know some people, the skeptics to stem cell research or stem cell type science, um, you know, they've, they've really eliminated those arguments on maybe why it's not ethical for, for that type of thing. You know, everything's full consent or yeah, you can get your hip drilled out if you, if that's what you want. Yeah, I mean, the, the science is continuing to grow and expand, and I'm sure what we're looking at now, what we had done, is probably going to be old school 10 years from now, or maybe even less than that. It's just, but it's available now, and that's what's really important. It's available now, and it does work, and it can be incredibly effective to people that are dealing with, like you were dealing with uh, that ligament issue for quite a, lot, a long time, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, mine is, well, they wanted to literally reattach my bicep. And I mean, that's, that would be, that would have been a freaking nightmare. I mean, and you could see, you could see the tear clearly. And, um, yeah, he literally went in there. They, you know, for those of, for those of you who haven't seen it, and I actually did a podcast with, with, um, Dr. McGee, but they actually just put like a little ultrasound device on your arm and they can scroll around and they find the exact location according to what the MRI showed. And then they literally inject, you know, they guide a needle right in, which it sounds, I mean, it sounds pretty, it sounds like more than it is. You'd, it's kind of um, a little bit anticlimactic because, you know, they literally give you an ultrasound, they go right in, and they, they literally put it right onto the site, and you can see it on the ultrasound, and then you pretty much just do what the doctor tells you for the next four weeks, and all of a sudden it really starts to grow again. And I think there's a limitation. Once they, once they unthaw the stem cell, um, it, has, it has to be used with like in a certain amount of minutes. 
it's um it's pretty fat mm. i mean it's super fascinating it's not pretty fascinating it's it's really it's like something you'd see in the movie tron or something where they just start reprogramming you based on cells it's crazy yeah, it's really crazy. It's it's really, really, really crazy. And, uh, you know, we're super lucky that this is happening while we're alive, you know? I mean, there's uh, a, a lot of injuries that can be handled with this now that just a few years ago you would have had to have surgery. Yeah, people want to know if you're coming spring turkey hunting with me to come compete for the belt. but I can't make it. <laughs> I'm know. not going to be able to make it. <laughs> I, I, I have to fight my battles when it comes to leaving the house for hunting. And uh, we got that uh, Axis deer hunt booked, and you and I are going on a hunt before that. So uh, I just can't push my luck, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I just wanted to ask because someone else had asked. But we're going to have, just so you know, we're going to have a really, really good time. We've got um, Ray Borgs coming, Jim Miller, um, Benny O'Brien's going to be Damn. here. Yep, Benny O'Brien. Benny's going to be here. And then, um, and then the... Uh, the my buddy from Atlantic Records, who actually uh, played a part in you know Hetfield coming on your show, uh, or his wife did, so to speak, which is crazy how small that world was. Um, yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun hunt. But either way, we'll um, we'll make sure to send you a bunch of texts and make you feel bad. <laughs> oh, I feel bad already. And I know if they're hunting on your property, there's a lot of turkeys in your area. Man, well, we were deer hunting out there in Iowa. Boy, did we see a lot of turkeys. Yeah, there were, they were, there's way too many. But hey, dude, um, I love Iowa. <laughs> Iowa's awesome. It is awesome. I mean, it's just a uh, sportsman's paradise there with deer and turkey. It's crazy. It's so funny because as a sportsman, there's certain. It it would really be tough if you truly had like no attachments, no job, probably no family, and you were just the most hardcore bow hunter there was, and you could pick where to live because, like Bozeman, Montana is freaking unbelievable. But you come here, yeah. and if you're a whitetail turkey guy, and especially if you really f- love whitetail hunting, you're. I mean, it's the best in the world. But if you just want like pure Western beauty and just fish and elk and deer and antelope, Montana's unbelievable. But if you just want like giant muleys and big horns and elk and just super cool freaking people and archery, awesome archery shops in Colorado's like the place. It'd be so tough yeah, to choose. Yeah, there's a few good spots. There's a few good spots. And if I was going to start all over again uh, in life and uh, just be a, a nutty bow hunter that went and backpacked out into the woods all the time, I'd be hard-pressed. I, I would think Colorado or Montana would be my spots that I would choose. I think, but, you, uh, yeah, I think you're right because at least there – at least there you're going to have the coolness of the whole, you know, like the cool factor of the entire year and the people and just the whole scene and like the, the stress-free life. But then, you know, hopefully yeah. ha- have a really cool buddy that you can draw an Iowa tag with and then just like deal with him for the two awesomest weeks of the year. <laughs> Dude, I'm calling your internet company and I'm going to, I'm going to kick everyone's ass. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It just keeps cutting out. 
I get like half your sentence and I hear you laughing. I'm like, I'm sure he said something funny. Well, Sharon says I laugh at all my own jokes harder than anyone else laughs. So it could be one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) I think I do the same thing. So, and I'm a professional comedian, so don't worry about it. But, uh, yeah, Colorado and Montana also have the beauty of the, you know, the scenery, the mountains, which is just, uh, to me, that's the best thing to look at in the world as far as like natural scenery is mountains. I'm, I'm obsessed with like mountain environments and mountain views. I just, uh, I just think that alone adds so much value to life. You know, being able to see like those, those mountains in Colorado, Montana, and just, it's so spectacular, just the landscape. Yeah. Well, you and I are both, we're so alike in the fact that we, we just really like to enjoy the best things that are happening around us at the moment and like just, you know, kind of drain, you know, just hopefully shield out like any of the negative vibe and just the ambience of places like that. And, you know, when I go to Colorado, just the people there are so freaking cool and cool. A lot of, you know, they're trendy people. They're cool people. They love to hunt. They're and it's kind of in a way they're a lot like Canadians too. Canadians are they're super cool in a hundred different ways as well. Yeah, I I think it has to do with dealing with nature all the time. I really do because if you're living in Colorado, if you're in Denver or Boulder or something like that, you're confronted with natural beauty that is just very humbling on a daily basis. And I think uh, just that that natural beauty just it tends to put people in their place. It tends to give you this uh, just inescapable feeling of awe about your surroundings and, and wonderment. And uh, I think it makes for nicer people. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that people in Bozeman, Montana, and, and Denver are so cool. I, you know, and Denver's a big city. It's a big city where people are, like, super friendly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's fun. They have a lot of the same environments. They have a heart, you know, they got a pretty pretty hardcore winter. But they've got a spectacular summer, and they're like super into having a cool camper, freaking dirt biking, quads. Most of them have cool ass wakeboards, and yeah, between all the people that I know up in up in specifically up in Alberta and BC, because I haven't really been east of there, um, and the people out, you know, kind of in that whole part of Colorado, there they're so similar. They're pretty awesome. Yeah, I always say that Canadians have twenty percent less douchebags than anywhere in America. <laughs> and I, I really, I really buy that. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking by that. I just think, uh, and I think also they, they have to deal with brutal winters, and I think that makes people just concentrate on community more and a little bit more camaraderie. You have to stick together in order to survive up there. Well, I wish we had Jamie with us because I'm wondering if there's twenty percent less cities. <laughs> I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. There's not that many people up there. There's not as many people in all of Canada as there is in California. Holy crap. Is that true? I don't know. I might have just made that up. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie is right here. I'll I'll ask him to find that out. Jamie, find out how many people are in California and how many people are in Canada. I'm at the studio, so that was we'll even have, we'll something. Let Jamie pull it up while we're sitting here. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right, though. I that, think there's something like 35 million people in California and like 30 million people in Canada, or something like that. Or at least, at the very least, it's in the ballpark. Here we go. 
36 million people in Canada. Okay, the country's population topped 36 million this year for the first time. It's still 3 million people fewer than the state of California. Okay, see, oh, I, was, I was right. Nailed so California it. has 39 people, million people. Canada, the entire country, which is huge, only has 36. So that's a factor. That's less people, you know, less... Say hi to Jamie Dude, for California me, too. Is ridiculous. Yeah, say hi to John Jamie. John Dudley says hi. Jamie says, what's up? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, there's definitely too many people here, man. This is, uh, I live in a weird spot. Well, we have to talk. A lot of damn people here. We have to talk for a few minutes on cooking because you and I are, actually, people have questioned me and sent sent me tweets and messages saying, are you and Rogan in some kind of a, some kind of in a, in a cooking, secret cooking contest because every time I post Cause you're two hours behind me. About two hours later, you're freaking throwing something out, and it's like a Traeger slash Yoder um, freaking grill off. And both of our secret weapon, <laughs> our secret weapon is Chad from Whiskey Bent Barbecue, giving us all the tips. Yeah, well, Chad's podcast with you was a game changer for me. Because I listened to him, and I had been doing all my elk steaks, which came out delicious, but I had been doing all of them over very high direct heat on my Yoder. After I listened to him, I switched up my methods entirely, and I haven't cooked a single elk steak or roast at anything over 275, because that's what he said. And I just cook them with a digital thermometer in it. I wait until it gets to two uh, to 125. Then I take it off the grill, and then I sear the outside. He's, he uses the Yoder itself or his uh, Traeger itself, and he uses grill grates and gets them up to 450 and sears it on the outside. What I've been doing is I use a cast iron pan with melted butter in it. Oh, and damn. I just get it super hot, and then I sear the outside in the melted butter. And then the, we, we share the same method. I wrap it in foil and put it in a, a Yeti cooler and let the uh, Yeti cooler with the foil take it to the next couple of degrees, and then I pull it out. And the last time, I let it sit for a good solid maybe 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes before I cut into it. And good googly boogly was it good. <laughs> Woo! It's My so good. My God, it's so, so good. It's so much better. It's juicy and delicious. Like, your buddy Chad knows his that guy is a wizard when it comes to barbecue like you're a wizard when it comes to archery that guy's a wizard at cooking meat and i just look i'm a, i'm a dummy i'm good at listening though when people tell me <laughs> when people are smart about stuff and they know what they're doing i listen and uh listening to chad changed the way i'm i'm cooking my elk and i'm super happy i oh. love pellet grills man oh, those, yeah. those traegers and you know and the, the one that i have the yoder and Green Mountain Grill has an, an amazing one, too. Those things are game changers, man. Yeah, if you're an outdoors person, because the worst thing you can do if you're new to hunting, the worst thing you can do is overcook wild game because it's just not filled with like all the different fats that they, you know, they try to fatten up livestock. And it just yeah. doesn't need, it doesn't need the marbling 
to be that freaking tender and rich, it doesn't need the fat in order to make that happen. And the one mistake so many people make with wild game food is they, as soon as you cook it to where it's medium well or well, you've completely like changed that whole meal. It's completely different. You need it medium and just, you know, get over the fact if you're a person that likes stuff well, just get over the fact, you know, don't look look at the color and just realize that having it at that at that, you know, particular temperature and Chad's big on temperature, um it just it's unbelievable the difference. I mean, you just don't want to you don't want to go eat a steak once you've had you know, especially like a a big elk loin or something like that cooked the right way. It's 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 life changing. It really is, and knowing how to cook it, like you said, knowing how to cook it where you don't overcook it changes the game. It really makes everything so much better. And for me, what one of the differences between I mean, I I still enjoy a nice beef steak. Don't get me wrong, but there's something about the vitality of elk. There's something to the meat. Like, it feels different when it goes in your body. I think it has more energy. I think there's more nutrients in it. I think it's an animal that is just so dynamic. When you see an elk and it's running up the side of a mountain, and, you you know, when you, when you quarter an elk out and you, you look at the, the structure of the muscle, it's all muscle. I mean, there's some fascia. There's very little fat. There's almost none. And when you cut the steak up they are red in a dark red like powerful way that you just never see in a beef steak it just tastes different when you eat it and if you cook it right like that elk roast that i had the other night i challenge anybody to tell me there's a better tasting meat available on the planet earth i just don't i don't see how it could be better i mean i've heard there's some some african um animals like uh i heard neil guy is amazing and I've heard some. Well, you've actually eaten that stuff. What, oh, yeah. what do you think is the most delicious meat? What's the most delicious meat in your eyes? Well, I would say the number one, if I were to pick one and it was like a blindfold contest, and you're going to geek out about this, is so we can come back to it, but it's Axis. Because I've, I've shot. And, I hear that. Yeah. I keep hearing I've, that. I've shot probably six Axis in my life, and I've always hunted them free range. And well, now, I mean, I've always hunted them free range down in the, down in Florida, down by Lake Okeechobee. And, um, there's the, I want to try the ones in Hawaii, which we're going to do amazingly, but, um, I'm dude, I want to, I cannot wait to cook. Uh, if I, if to cook an axis, if we can get someone to come do it Hawaiian style and some freaking palm leaves, I'm thinking it's like it's going to completely change our perspective on awesomeness for the rest of our life because it is spectacular meat. Yeah, I've I've heard Axis is number one. I'm really excited about that trip too. We're going to go and uh, hunt Axis deer in a place where they've they've imported them to Hawaii, and you know obviously they don't have any natural predators in Hawaii. So they're everywhere. There's no, there's no wolves, no coyotes, nothing to eat them. So they're just, they're all over the place. And uh, apparently, according to uh, Wayne uh, from the Bow Rack, he was telling me uh, that it's, it's amazing out there. Have you, have you hunted in Hawaii before? I haven't. I haven't. I haven't. I've never been there. I've only flown over it on the way. To, I think I stopped there on the way to New Zealand. 
and I've been to Australia. Oh man. Times. You're going to love it. We're going to have a good time. We got to keep from getting too drunk at night. That's that's the only problem. We got to make sure that we we can get up early in the morning and still have plenty of energy to hunt. Oh, I got to uh save British We Colum- have to save ourselves. British Columbia is like 1 month before that. I can guarantee that I'll be I'll be perfectly um conditioned to do whatever we want at night and still hunt in the morning. <laughs> I'll be I'll be in uh, perfect you condition. your liver up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Which yours is pretty beast. I'm gonna actually yours is very beast. Um, your liver is pretty <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, in British Columbia, you're going to uh, your spot and stock bear hunting up there, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Always. I love it. Yep, I'm going to a new place um, just north of Vancouver. Um, I'm going with my buddy Nick Yarish, and then Dusty and Jeremy are going to come with me to guide. But, uh, yeah, I'm super jacked about it. There's supposed to be a lot of color phase in this area, too. Well, I was watching a Jim Shockey show the other day about Vancouver Island, and they were talking about the genetics of the bears that live on Vancouver Island are actually an ancient bear species that's completely different from the black bears that are uh, in the lower 48 and the rest of Canada. I want you to research that because I've heard that I've heard that that was, and I don't want to say anything negative about Jim because Jim and Eva are both really, really good people, super awesome people. Um, but I've actually heard a lot of different outfitters from BC argue that. So whether they're arguing it because they don't have the coastal bear but a lot of them are saying that the the reason there's such a difference, and there isn't a huge difference in size, but the reason there is difference in size when it comes to the skull um, on average is because it's warmer out there, the hibernation is a little less, and they have fish to feed on versus the inland ones really don't. So, I mean, it's a very, mm. it's a va- very valid uh, point. So maybe... That's something that you should um, look into. Maybe if, maybe if you and I hook up, um, maybe I don't know if we're gonna. Well, I'm sure we'll do a podcast of some sort when we're when we're together next month. But um, oh, definitely, definitely. To, I got equipment set up. I'm ready to rock. <laughs> yeah, and well, one last thing because I know you got a jet and I got a jet. But um, one last question um, someone had, and this will tie into a good subject is. You know, people want to ask about um, how you're because sh- right now you're shooting um, a side rod with a with a rear bar as well. So people are kind of wanting to know what you're thinking of that. But then we might as well talk too. You know, you and I both have actually switched to the um, Hoyt Pro Defiant versus the Carbon Defiant, and I think that's really cool because there's a lot of people out there that just can't afford the carbon model risers and man, you and I both have kind of come to the same conclusion on this. So I'll let you, I'll let you kind of talk about your stabilizer setup and what we came up with there and kind of what you're running for your rig right now. Well, I'm using the stokerized stasis. That's the one I've come to the conclusion that I like the best. One of the reasons why it it balances out my bow. Great. And on top of that, one of the things that I really like about it is it's a very minimal fuss. It doesn't come loose. Like, I had a bee stinger for a while, which I really like, but every now and then the, the little mounting brackets and everything would get loose, and I'd have to tighten it down. I've never had that problem with the stokerized. 
once uh, once I have it set in place, it's it's locked in. It's a real simple setup, but real effective. It balances out my bow really nice, and it also it absorbs a lot of shock. It feels really dead in the hand. As far as the bows, look, the Carbon Defiant is an awesome bow. It's beautiful. It shoots great. I love it. Somehow or another, the Pro Defiant's better. I don't know how. <laughs> and it's better by the smidgiest of smidges. But, like, if I was on a cold weather hunt, I would take the Carbon. Right, because me too. It's, it just it doesn't get cold in your hand. Like, when we were in Iowa, there were some mornings where I was gripping that bow where I was like, good, googly, moogly, this is cold. <laughs> like, it's like holding on to an ice cube. It just, the uh, aluminum retains the temperature uh, to a much greater degree. It retains the cold to a much greater degree. Whereas carbon, it just doesn't at all. So carbon is amazing for cold weather. It's amazing for weight. Look, it's an amazing, they're both amazing bows. I would shoot the probably just as accurate with both of them, but there's just something about that pro defiant that is just slightly more dead in the hand, if that's even possible. Would you agree? Yeah, because it's, a, I mean, different materials give different feedback when it comes to frequency. So, you know, and this is the people that really understand that are the Olympic recurve shooters because recurve shooters are super finicky about the type of material that they like in their limbs because there's more limb than there is riser, which was like nowadays with compound archers, we've got more riser than we do limb. So our feedback really comes from the vibration or the frequency of the riser versus the Olympic style recurve shooter, so much of their vibration is feeding back from the limbs and how it transmits through the string. So there's certain people that just get along with a bet with a certain like some people shoot the exact same, you know, decibel, so to speak, but someone will say, Well, that one does that one feels way better. And even if both of them are an identical match, but they're just at a different frequency. Some people just like certain ones better. And I just feel like, um, well, there was a couple. There was, when I shot the Nitrum, I shot the Nitrum over the carbon bow that year. And then now with the Pro Defiant, I'm, you know, I'm going to be taking my Pro Defiant. I guarantee you I'll have it on, on every trip that we do. I'm going to have a Pro Defiant. Until it gets cold, that's what I'm going to shoot. <laughs> Yeah, it's just an awesome bow. I mean, I'm just so thankful that there's people out there like those Hoyt engineers that are constantly trying to improve upon something that's already awesome because they just keep taking it to the next level, and every year they have to continue to do that. It's a really crazy situation that bow manufacturers have that rifle manufacturers just don't. I mean, you could have a rifle from five years ago, and it would be amazing. Same bullets from five years ago, perfect. You know, you're, you're clanging steel at 500 yards, no problem. But there's something about bows where just the precedent has been set. People require a new bow every year to come out from the manufacturers and be better than the previous bow. And so because of that, they continue to improve upon these bows. And, uh, I mean, the result is just amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'm actually looking forward to you actually um... – you wanted another bow, and you're going to move to 70 pounds just because of the sheer numbers of arrows. You're shooting really good right now, so you're just you're in the process of just having a lot of fun with it. And 
you're, you told me, you're like, man, should I try a lighter poundage just for getting in my reps? So I'm going to build a 70 pounder for you. And I'm actually, I've got some ideas for a new arrow configuration that I really think is going to work awesome. I've been playing a lot with arrows, vein lengths and vein configuration and vein amounts. So I'm going to build a little bit different setup for you and let you shoot that for a month. And I'm curious to know what you think of it. Well, I'm excited to try it and see what the difference is. Right now, I'm shooting about 500 grains, and uh, I'm really a big fan of these Roy, uh, these uh, Rage Plus Ps. But now Rage is coming out with a titanium head, which uh, I'm really excited to try too. Yeah, that tripan, and I actually the tripan's unbelievable. I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a bunch of those for us, or I do have a bunch of those for us for our our hog slam, and we'll get to definitely see how they work. They actually told me that the tripan, the blade on the tripan, because of the certain steel of the blade, um, because of, I guess, like the actual grain of the natural grain or pores of that type of steel that they're able to use on the blade since they have a lighter ferrule, I guess they're able to get it sharper. And I sent you one. Wow. I mean, it's... Did you feel that thing? Did you open it up? Yeah. Well, it's it's hard to tell the difference until you actually shoot it into something, but it definitely feels sharp. And it looks like the blades are just slightly thicker as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they are, which should, should you know, prove to be more durable. I shot both my hogs down in Oklahoma um, with it, and, I mean, it freaking shredded this big old bore plate right in two and the other thing i sent you, you should did you get it the other day i sent you um one of the alternating the new nocturnals that flashes back and forth i sent you my the one yeah that, the epilepsy knocks <laughs> that's what they should have called it <laughs> disco knocks they're disco knocks it's pretty yeah. crazy yeah you'll find those folks aliens are gonna find those they're gonna you're gonna have ufos hovering <laughs> over your arrows after you get pass-throughs <laughs> hilarious yeah those are awesome too I mean, I'm just, I, I love that too. I'm a, a giant fan of uh, lighted knocks. I just think it makes it cooler. It's more fun. It doesn't seem to affect the accuracy as long as you tune the bow properly with it. And as far as like watching exactly where the arrow goes, I feel like I think that that's invaluable. And I, I can't believe that some states aren't allowing that. I just think like Montana doesn't allow it, right? They don't allow uh, lighted no. knocks. No, it's foolish. It's really because... unfortunate. Yeah, it is because it doesn't it doesn't aid in you taking your game, which I think is I no. honestly feel like if there's if there's a big advantage, if there's some type of a thing that proves to be a big advantage to the hunter, um, then I can see there being an argument of they don't want too much advantage to the hunter versus still, you know, being ethical um, to the game animal. But when it comes to aiding in the recovery of an animal that's already been shot it's just it's it's way more unethical to not be for people to not be able to do anything possible to help you in you know recovering your animal in a lighted knock one it shows you where you hit so if you're not right you don't rush it and end up bumping something Two, you can find your arrow, or if the arrow is still in the animal, you can find the animal even if you don't aren't if you're not able to follow the blood trail. I mean, the advantage is in the actual ethics 
of the animal. It's more, the animal's not going to go to waste. I mean, I, I don't see why they don't allow I agree. it. It's foolish. Yeah, I think it is foolish. And I think it's along the same lines of uh, the same states that don't allow expandable heads. I think they're dealing, they're thinking about the old technology when it comes to expandable heads, whereas these new heads, like the Rage Hypodermic Plus P's and the, the Tripans, I mean, they're just, they're so good. We shot them at your place. Remember, we put those deer shoulders, we put that deer scapula up on uh, a target, and I blew right through it with the hypodermic. Blew right through it, through the target, poking out the back end, no damage to the blade. Right through bone. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. You have that, um, you've got that media on your phone. I had the, when we shot the ballistic gel when we were in Chicago. Um, But, yeah, you've got that. When we hook up, I'll... um, I'll repost that on my YouTube thing so people can see that because that was yeah, pretty, that was pretty definitely. devastating. So really impressive, and <laughs> it just shows you how durable those blades really are, and a lot of misconceptions that people have about how and they fly like darts. That's what I like the best. I mean, they they have such a low wind profile as far as like the wind resistance. They fly so well. Oh yeah, yeah, they're unbelievable. I mean, I'm. I'm sold on them. I took a year of not shooting, not being sponsored by anybody to just shoot different broadheads. And truthfully, I still do. Um, I took, I bought nine different, I spent a hundred or $370 on broadheads at the ATA show. Sharon was like, what in the heck? But I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to owe anybody anything. I literally just bought every single type of broadhead pack that I saw that was like something new or something different. And when when I do these hunts, I tried three different heads when I was down in Oklahoma. And then when you and I are together, I'll bring a I'll bring a few more packs because some of this stuff I want to try. But in the end, I haven't had anything from a mechanical point of view um, that I want to change to. I'm super happy where I'm at. Yeah, I'm really happy with them, too. And, you know, the, the impact that we had when we were in Iowa, uh, particularly on that dough, the hole that it leaves is just so amazing. I mean, oh, the yeah. amount of damage that they do, the amount of blood that they, it leaves behind. I mean, the blood trails are insane. I mean, I just, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm a big believer in rage. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, man, we've, we've been at it probably half, well, a third of the time of Rogan podcast, half the time of our last podcast, but <laughs> I know your routine. It's one thirty, and <laughs> we're getting ready to cut into Rogan archery time before he has to do his shows tonight, or, well, you'll be at the family before that, and then once the family hits the hay, you'll be at the comedy store or somewhere. So let's let Joe get back to archery. Hey, man, I appreciate it. You know, I... You know, uh, I can't thank you enough for everything. You're awesome. Hey, I can't thank you enough, man. You, you've changed my, my archery 100%. You're a wizard, and I think you are such an important factor in archery and bow hunting today. I just think you're, you're, you're a huge resource for the community. Your podcast is awesome, uh, and I love you, man. All right, brother. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk soon. All right, knock on, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com